0: This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Retreat. Cheers. I am your host, Erica Lance. With me today is Valerie Willis, and today we have
1: Paul Cornell. I'm nervous,
0: and then I'm like, you can't say John Smith. <laughs> she practices so way too many times to yeah. do this. So, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Yeah, I promise it's going to get better from here. So, let's talk about what we're drinking right. so people can drink along. I have one of our drinking with author's cups. We actually now have shot glasses. I'll be sending one of these to you, Paul, if you want. But in this is Blue Moon with an orange. Orange slices, I'm mm. very proud. See, look, I did it like a boss. It's Blue Moon beer. What do you have?
1: I have uh, tea with honey jack in it.
2: Mm. Experimental I have um, McEwan's, um Levy, which is perhaps my favorite beer in the world. Um, I only discovered it with it within the last few months. It's a um, really quite low alcohol beer. Um, It's called Levy because it's um, the result of a legal um, nicety, which meant that they could um, sell it in places where you couldn't sell beer because it's only a 3.2. However,
0: it is delicious. like the dark beer,
2: huh? Oh, it's a delicious, flavorful dark beer. It's absolutely beautiful.
0: We'll see next time I'm in the UK, which hopefully will be next year, depending on the Rona. Rona. Um (laughs) I will I'm gonna try it. I got a chance to go not this summer, but last summer for work to um I was in um London, but I actually ended up in now I'm gonna forget the name of it. I wanna say Leeds, and that's not right. Don't look at me. I know. I'm trying to. Florida. I cannot believe I've been drinking too much. Okay, we're going to move on. I'll remember it in a minute and just blurt it out. So, okay, (laughs) for
1: for those who may not know you, go ahead and tell us a little bit about the type of writing and books that you publish.
2: Um, I'm a a writer of um, books, comics, and television. Um, I'm a, a science fiction and fantasy writer. Um, I've had I, I'm many um, different creator-owned comics runs at Marvel and DC. Um, I have a rural fantasy series of novellas from Tor.com, the Lichford books, and I've written for TV shows as diverse as Elementary, Doctor Who, Robin Hood, um, all sorts of things. And, um, yeah, I, I, I tried maintaining all three branches at once. and any other media I can come across. I'm, you know, puppet shows, grand opera, mine. Yes. <laughs> I
0: write Doctor Who in grand opera. I'm a diverse writer. <laughs> that would be amazing. Okay. So when did you start? When did you begin? When were you like, I'm going to be a writer?
2: Um, well, there are, there are two points really. Um, when I was a, a, a youngster um, going through a horrendous school life, um, I just suddenly broke one day and wrote a, a, a story for school, which wasn't the, my usual box sticking exercise, but was a, basically a, um, a, a catalogue of things that were really going on at school done in a fantasy context. And um, I got high marks for it, never looked back, just started writing and writing. Fan fiction immediately, Doctor Who fan fiction, got into fanzines, response of an audience, um, set me up for life. But then I was going to be a scientist, I was going to be an astrophysicist. Um, I, w- I went to do a, a degree in that, failed completely. Um <laughs> It got out within six weeks um it, my maths failed me um I was just not socially equipped to, to deal and so I had to fall back on something and so gradually um after years of poverty I started selling um selling uh, selling fiction and started making a living that way um I'd like to say that I, I've never had a job um uh, I've al- always supported myself and others through my through my work
0: and that's awesome. easy. That that was a fun story. I mean, it's a starving artist story, but it. I think that's awesome. What was the first work that you actually published? Published, like for real? Okay, thing?
2: non-fiction. Um, it was a piece about the Rocky Horror Picture Show in Starburst magazine. Okay, um, <laughs> okay.
0: Right. sorry,
2: by, okay. my my, own, my only ever sale to Starburst magazine. <laughs> and um, uh, fiction-wise, it was a comic strip for Doctor Who Monthly um where john freeman the editor because i was hanging out um nearby him and buying him lots of drinks decided to bring me on and um give me an education in writing comics and that's stood me in good stead ever since that was over 25 years ago oh
0: my goodness talk about being at the right place at the right time i gotta ask the rocky horror question so it's it's nerdy this has never come up on this podcast before (laughs) Because there's there's layers of my nerd dumbs that have not been exposed. To expose but now I do. <laughs> I can expose myself. Um, oh my
2: goodness. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, ironically, this will tie into the story of this. Can but I exposed myself too cast of Rocky Horror Picture Show two times in like for chunks of time. When I was, I think 15 or 16, I was in the cast and I uh-huh. played Columbia and Magenta. And I don't, I'm sure they they have to do it over there too, but they, all of us dress up like the characters and do act it out in front of the screen and people throw shit and yell shit at you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and then when I was, oh, I want to say 40, 42, I can say that, um, I ended up finding uh, me and a friend who did it did it together this story has just gone off the rails it's fine um did it uh, the rocky horror picture show together found a cast and when we showed up it was the cast was the same named cast that we had been in years and a million years before and they asked us (laughs) we we were i forget what they called us they they were like some name that they were like oh you know these big deals will you guys come do it and then i ended up getting sucked into it again (laughs) and did it again for like six months but I played Brad because Brad's got more screen time than anybody it's you gotta you gotta think of these
1: things
0: (laughs) okay I looped that totally back in and exposing your you you have that happen when you do the Rocky Horror Picture Show there's body parts everywhere so what did you write for the Rocky Horror Picture Show like no
2: no no Um, I I just wrote a piece about it for Starburst Magazine they they've never covered it and so basically starburst was like starlog it's um but it sort of presented a a an education in science fiction for um a a fandom that was just forming around star wars and um so i wrote a piece about the phenomenon you know i was a regular i was a regular attendee on uh, on the week on weekends to um a rocky horror picture show night in london i can already tell (laughs) <laughs> and, and so I, I wrote about the audiences and, you know, what that experience was like. And uh,
0: That's awesome. That is awesome. Mm. Yeah, no, that's cool. So you start off doing comics. When do you release your first novel?
2: Um, that's in the 1990s. I get a, very, a short-term contract at Govance and release two science fiction novels. Um, and uh, they're not very good. Um, they're they're full of ideas they're they, you know they are there are two many ideas and they're not in a very nice shape and um, they're called something more in british summertime and they are my kind of uh, oh my my not even sufferable what's the one thing before sufferable that um <laughs> novels <laughs>
0: But they're published, they're so published. that means everybody can find them. You, you
1: gotta start someplace. If it makes mm. you feel any better, when we interviewed Jonathan Mayberry, his first book was a nonfiction piece, and it was Bullying and You."
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. Well, it's, it's like
2: it's like it's like it's like Neil's Duran Duran biography.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you write these two. Very um not your current level of professionalism novels. That was a nice way of saying it. You know, a lot of authors happen to be lucky that their really sucky shit never makes it into the public eye. But well done that yours is there. Um, so when, when do you branch over into doing television and stuff like that? Because you wrote some of the Doctor Who episodes
2: and stuff. Well, I, I won a competition really early on to get a play on BBC One, or BBC Two, sorry. Um, I had a short play um, produced in the early 1990s um, with Pete Postlethwaite in it. So I really, I really lucked out. And it was called Poppylands and it was science fiction set in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, and then nine years later, I got my second TV gig. <laughs> and, Just a
0: little hop, skip and a jump yeah almost thanks. a decade
2: but it was fast thanks to russell t davis uh, who um got me on to i got him into dr who the new adventures i introduced him to the uh, editor there and he got me onto children's ward a uh, 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 children's soap opera out, out of manchester and um
1: a children's soap opera yeah yeah They've got way more diverse genre. Like all we got is a bunch of reality shows, game shows, and uh, that's not. So we reality. have the
0: Disney Channel. It's, it's those it. are those are clearly oh. of children's soap opera.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the, the form the form I call children's soap opera is still very much around. You know, DeGrassi, for goodness' sake. You know. Yeah.
0: Okay, so <laughs> so you're a huge Doctor Who fan, obviously. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite Doctor.
2: Oh, complicated. Um,
0: I like. The- I- when I can be because it shows off my mental acuity
2: let's do this well um probably a toss-up between um Sylvester McCoy or Peter Davison from the original show okay
1: Uh,
2: and I'm always in love with the current doctor to some degree um but there's something special about um first season Peter Capaldi um that that very hard very unlikable um i, I think that's quite a special season and um it, it, you know I, I identify quite a lot with capaldi because of course he's sort of the doctor for my age group but <laughs> but on the other hand um i'm really glad we've got jody now and um i was going
0: to ask that because that created a lot of controversy Amongst the the Who fandom, which was, I always think Whovians, which I always think is so dumb when they do something like that. But the same thing happened when they brought, um, Janeway into Star Trek, as everybody was like, "What do you mean, Vivo, captain?" Like, you Ooh. know, but the most brilliant maneuver they did was bringing Seven of Nine onto that show. I just want to praise I, whatever I, ever I, managed to pull that shit off.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I I I I do think there was a lot less controversy than people imagine. Um, I think that um, there's still a, a controversy ongoing amongst idiots. Um, it, um, you know, there's a, a, a deeply idiotic section of our fandom who um, don't, don't accept it. And, um, you know, a bunch of fascists. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my God, I love that you said that.
2: I'm
0: turning this. Yeah. Thing off. Something's making noise. There we go. I'm fine. It's a podcast. I'm drunk. I can get up and turn things off. So I I thought, well, you know, it's interesting when you see the news and you have that. I have a lot of um, friends that are huge Doctor Who fans. And I have to admit this on the podcast. I haven't watched a ton of Doctor Who, but we went to Dragon Con in Atlanta and my friends were like, we need to dress up as a Doctor Who thing for the day. And I was like, Okay, but I've never watched the show, so I'm like, you got to come up with something that's easy. <laughs> and <then laughs> when if people ask me, I can say something. So on the show is the silence. Oh. Things and you mark yourself, right? Yeah. So I um, literally had Doctor Who shirt on, and just had a bunch of markings all over my body, and 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 they like dressed up as things, right? Right. And I was walking around, everybody was like, oh, my God, did you see that? I'm like, how many?
2: Like,
0: <laughs> I, I watched the five minutes it took for me to yeah. figure out how to do that. And, and my friends were like, this is bullshit. Like, you don't even know the show. And everybody's so engaged that I had all these marks. It was funny. It
2: was, it was well, so I mean, spot on. I mean, you know, it gives you exactly what you need. It's, uh...
0: So you also write comics, though. hmm Yes, we were cyber-stalking you, which was called research (laughs) now, but it's really cyber-stalking, so
2: it's fun. I've been writing comics for a a really long time, but um, once my my first Doctor Who episode went out, um, Mark Miller, the great comics writer, emailed me out of the blue, I'd never met him before, and said, I really like your Doctor Who episode, would you like to write for Marvel Comics? And I recommend, I recommend that as a career ladder for any aspiring writers out there. Just get Mark Miller to email you and (laughs) offer you the gig. I I think that's- (laughs)
0: That is is super, okay, what Doctor Who episode did that? What is the name of the Doctor Who episode? Uh,
2: Father's Day, the um, David Tennant one. Oh, sorry, the Christopher Eccleston one. And then I wrote two for for David Tennant. And um, the uh, Marvel gig, was followed swiftly by um a, a dc gig oh
1: yeah they're uh, always on each other
2: yeah and i was exclusive with them for a while um and I, I wrote for a lot i did lots of runs i'm really pleased with for both companies and then i started writing my own getting my own creator own comics out there and uh, i'm currently writing four creator own comics at once it's wow. great. How,
0: how did you all get sucked into doing that did it just seem like a good idea at the time and then it just bloomed?
2: Well, I, I, I've been pitching I'm pitching them for a long time um, in the idea that once in a while one will pay off and suddenly they all paid off together. Um, it, it was actually because I didn't go to San Diego Comic-Con one year um, because my gallbladder exploded. So um, I did all the meetings I would do, but over the phone. And it seemed to be actually more successful than going, um, because that's where I got all this work. Wow. Um, yeah. And um, so, yeah, it, it's... Um, but the, the horrible thing about my career is um, I'm a bit all over the place. There is still is not one thing that my name is associated with. And um, I, I do projects because they're fun. And um, like I just wrote for 2000 AD, the Great British Weekly comic that's been going for decades, uh, because I never had properly before, and um, so I just emailed them saying
0: improperly before.
2: (laughs) Well, I'd I'd written for I'd written for one of their spin-offs.
0: Oh okay. oh, okay. I was like, "How do you improperly write for a comic?" <laughs> I'm
2: like, there
0: there a, ways. "I'm going to do this in ways. the nude."
2: But I just, <laughs> I nowadays. just, want, I just wanted to be able to call myself a 2000 AD writer without having to explain anything further. So I. I, <laughs> I, I, I
0: this sounds Ooh. like you've had a really exciting, fun career, though. <laughs> doing all this, I think it's important. You know. I'm a huge proponent of being able to do the things you want. Part of the reason I started this podcast is because I get to get drunk with authors such as yourself, like <laughs> hashtag life goal. Like, what do you do? I get drunk with authors and get to hear all their stories. <laughs> so, as you've gone through all this. Um, do you find it difficult to switch mediums? So I've written plays and I'm, I've written screenplays and novels, like I haven't right. done comics. And, and I stick with, even though
1: I've dabbled in doing screenwritings for 3D animation companies in the past and stuff, I have to work a hundred times harder to do that than when I just simply sit down and write a novel.
2: So
0: so what, how do how you, is it easy to jump? Is it easy?
2: No. Um, I, 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 he's,
0: he's supposed to go, yeah, it's super easy. And he's like, it's fucking terrible. Why did
2: you? I, say I, I, I basically have to mentally switch gears. And I have to, you know, I, I don't often have the luxury of a big gap between two different forms. You know, sometimes I'm doing two different forms in the same day. And, um, but it's really, especially moving between comics and screenplay. Because certain aspects are the same, but certain aspects are really different. You write in the comic um, panel one. He 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 throws down the book and run, runs out of the door and slams it behind him. Well, how's the artist going to draw that? Yeah, and um, it's uh, I, I, I actually always write comics.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: and it's not a very exciting page either. I, I, I actually um, I, I always write comics in the past tense. Uh, he he's he's put the book on the table um he's or or all, all going he's heading for the door um it's um you know you have to see each panel very much as a single frame of, of movie um and uh oh that takes a little shift between that and a screenplay and um Prose, on the other hand, I, I, is a lot easier to slip in and out of because it's sort of a first language. It feels sort of like I, I know TV writers who find prose very tough. So I think this is just a case of, you know, what you were raised on. You know.
0: Well, it's interesting. I, we were talking to Dan Wells and uh, we were talking about the whole screenwriting thing, because I have um, uh, through my father friends in Hollywood that are producers and I've talked to them about screenplays and they always want people who write prose to write screenplays because straight screenplay writers and stuff do not tend to um, have the world building associated with them that the other Mm. that somebody who writes and builds the world as part of their book, even though we, I I don't want to say simplify it, but we pull it back so we're our dialogue, and we mention some stuff for scenes, but uh, leave it open for a lot of directing right, because yeah. directors hate it when you explain everything they're going to mm. do. Yeah, we get really busy about that, but um they, I think it's different because in in the writing, you you know anyway. I'm so Where yeah are you drinking. Coming? I'm going. I'm gonna come back. But it's it's interesting to be able to do that. And he said that he finds that people who write novels are better at writing screenplays, especially movies, because and series because they understand the world that it's built in
2: i see i see i mean i would never um i would never try and direct from the script in either form i mean in comics i would say um we're i would probably say we're under the bed with her as the um soldiers enter the room um um but what i wouldn't say is it's that classic shot of seeing their boots from under from under the bed yeah yeah uh, um in a in a in a s- actual screenplay i would be even less inclined to describe what's going on i would i would say she hides under the bed the soldiers enter the room and that doesn't say where the camera is no
0: no totally well it's interesting because one of the things somebody told me once when I started writing, I wrote a couple smaller plays for local, like, um, we do a a literary haunted house here in the Tampa Bay area every year. So I wrote a little, a tiny play. It's about a 10 minute play that happens in a room in the haunted house. And I like to kill people. So it works out very well for me to participate in this. So, and and only in fiction, just so I don't get arrested as people listen to the show. Um, but one of the things that was interesting is a friend of mine said you should go read some of your favorite movies like get copies of the scripts and Mm -hmm. read the scripts because as much as you see all this beautiful grandiose stuff and things sometimes it doesn't describe the character at all you Mm -hmm. know it doesn't it doesn't even describe the room other than in a bedroom interior Mm -hmm. bedroom Mm -hmm. yeah
1: and and it's the same thing when i was doing the scripts for a lot of the animation companies I was also an animator. So I kind of knew the, the, the complexity and where to leave them gaps. And I think that's mm. why I, I was hired to do so many at the beginning of, of what I was doing because I understood what it meant to design and to write it. I, I,
2: I always think my job is to give an emotional feel for the space. Right. Like in a, in a comic, I would say um, it's, it's raining like the end of the world. It's raining and it makes us very sad you know um cuz an artists go yep i know what i can do that um and um i i i had a very bad um, misguide early on i was i was i got to see a um, john wagner judge dread script um. um wagner's wagner's been writing for decades this same character and knows all his artists really well so one of his panel descriptions was literally dread with bike and, um, <laughs> and you point. do
0: that? And your artists are like what are you talking about <laughs> like, you have no idea what's happening right here
2: <laughs> well it certainly doesn't give any emotional context but of course you know everybody working with him they all know what they're doing you know you it's, work with um,
0: the same artists all the time on all these things on the projects you get assigned one artist or does it switch
2: um, it varies hugely. Um, usually they'll give you a choice of artists, depending on the company. Um, uh, with, with, uh, Marvel and DC, um, they'll usually say, how about this person? Just this one person. Cause honestly, it's going to be that person. Um, <laughs>
0: and, At least they let you feel like you're feel making like a it. decision. Yes. yes.
2: Yeah. But, great rome comics it's often here's four or five people's um deviant art pages um who, which of these do you like the best you know and um you know it's uh there's a nice a nice element of choice there is there um,
1: really a, a comic artist that you would love to illustrate it. Like I'm a big fan of like Jim Lee and oh, you really you're, you're
0: throwing all the big I, names out. <laughs> I love their artwork. Oh, I and got it. Was, I want you to pick one slightly obscure name. Obscure name? That oh. maybe not everybody would know. I want you to pick I don't, one verse.
1: I, don't, I don't know if how many people still remember Michael Turner. He was oh,
2: Michael of- Turner from, um, oh, was he Aspen comics? Um, No? Yeah.
1: Big Fathom and. Fathom, yes, that's
2: Aspen, yes.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you didn't pick an obscure.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty obscure. (laughs) She's
0: she's super fired. So, is there an artist? Because I like it. She's like, listen, would you like Jim Lee? I'm like, seriously, that's like, (laughs) listen, you get to pick somebody through your screenplay. So, do you want to have it be Tatum Channing or like, like you're going to pick somebody who's on the top? That's the whole idea. Like, if you could pick anyone you
2: know well <laughs> She's
0: are, leading
2: the are, question don't listen to her what is what is your choice there are, there are, there, are, there are artists who I I worked with before who are, would always be a, an early pick for me because we understand each other hugely, like Ryan Kelly oh. um who I did sorcerer country with um or um people I've not worked with um uh, who I would really like to jock oh my goodness jock um he's actually a friend but we've never worked together um or uh nicholas scott i'm a huge fan of Mm -hmm. um i'm um i'm just getting to write uh, to write for an artist i've always wanted to work with um emma Vicelli right now for for the first time we've known each other more than a decade but we've never had the right project together and the modern frankenstein which is out next year is our our um, twisted romance it's a uh, it's um we're, it's something that's right up her alley and um oh who else I, i'm a huge bronze age comics fan so I, this is impossible but i would have loved to have done something for a busema to for john or sal Buscema to to draw i'm an enormous fan of their their line um colleen duran i would love colleen Dur- duran um, oh, and of course, um, I, I'm currently, I mean, I, I read everything that, um, oh.
0: <sighs> I love this show that happens to me all the time. It's, it's totally. <laughs> uh,
2: Wait, where did he go? John, uh, John Allison. I love everything that John Allison writes and okay. draws and, nice. um, either he or one of his regular, regular collaborators, um, that would be that would be gorgeous um so yeah there's a whole bunch good question I mean that's uh...
0: so we're talking about um illustrators and um ink and and people creating the artwork I'm going to say it that way without fucking offending everybody but what about for your covers how much input do you have on your cover creation for your books
2: there is hugely I mean Quite often, the cover will be something that's sort of thought about a little separately. Um, I, 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 for a series that's I that's happening but hasn't been announced yet, in my initial pitch, I actually described every one of the covers oh. um, because that it gave a feeling of what I was after for the series in a nice shorthand. It sort of said, "This is the feel of the series because this is what it's going to look like. This is how we're going to sell it."
0: And when um, is that
2: uh, can't say a word I was, I
0: was um, wondering, um, we'll drink we'll drink more. it's fine we'll see how far <laughs> we <can. laughs>
2: and and um but no i mean it's varied hugely um sometimes companies have said do you have any ideas particularly for variant covers which mm-hmm. is how we how we came up with a absolutely bonkers run of um famous ufo photos variant covers for saucer for saucer state <laughs> and um
1: I was looking
2: at those. Those are great. Some of the some of the some of those you actually needed to be quite a deep fan of ufology to even understand what was going on. I, I think possibly not my best idea. Um but um,
0: it sounded like a good idea at the time, which is mm. basically the theme of my
2: life. Oh, but but you know, they were um they were gorgeously um illustrated by Jeffrey Verge, um who's a, a Native American artist who does um uh well he's had exhibitions and uh he has this extraordinary sort of um it's hard to describe very um a very angular style and so you've got him drawing classic scenes from ufology and there's a certain certain weird lovely contrast of styles there. i just feel i should have given him a better subject matter
0: I'm sure it's brilliant. All the UFO people are like, ah!
2: <laughs>
0: not more than I think people think of Yeah. when it comes to the whole UFO thing, especially now in the digital age. We actually have to take a break though, we have to take a it's break time. and we will be right back with Drinking With Authors. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you.
2: different I, I think i think prose in the end i'm um you know I, I i i will still go back to prose for my own comfort and um it's sort of what feels natural to me it's where i come from um, and i can very swiftly put something new together in prose um, yeah and, and also you get to do everything you you get to run run the entire sensory output of the person reading you hopefully and uh, that's a that's a, a pleasing thing.
0: Very cool. So you write. Sci- you write a lot of different things. Do you have? Um, you know, we jokingly call them genre. Like people who can do multiple different genres. You do that. But do you have a genre that you absolutely adore, or do you?
2: Well, I'm I'm a science fiction and fantasy writer. I mean, I, I occasionally dabble in mystery and uh, thrillers, um, but. No, I'm, I'm. I. I just. I made a, a decision uh, a few years ago, um, after Russell T. Davis changed British television by bringing Doctor Who back. I thought, well, now I can be a science fiction and fantasy writer. I don't have to keep writing shows like Casualty, because um, I, I. I did. I did. I, I. really enjoyed Casualty. I did six of them, and uh, good fun. But um, I. I can actually be the kind of writer I want to be. And um, so ever since then, I've really concentrated on the weird. And every every now and then, I think, um, you know, I I quite like the literary novel. I I wouldn't mind doing something, um, you know, that's just about people in in a real place doing real things. I mean, my my Witches of Lichford books. Mm -hmm. Um, have magic in them, but they're also very much about everyday realities of British life in in the countryside. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm... Yeah, I'm an SFF writer.
0: (laughs) Well, you know what's interesting about sci-fi? I think it's interesting, especially, is the fans of science fiction. Mm. There are, you know, different fan bases or (laughs) different fan bases, but you get... Quite some intellectuals into that particular arena that especially like to challenge the scientific parts of the <laughs> sci-fi. So, what have you encountered with that? I, I know well, because some of these people are my friends, and they'll be discussing some quantum blah blah, and I'm like, it is a fucking book, dudes. Like it is, a it, it's fiction. It says fiction right on it. I and-
2: think I, I think as far as the science goes, it's important for the book to say on what level you're meant to be interrogating it. So, you know, if, if, if you could either say, you can say, I'm a Terry Pratchett sort of person, this is magic. Um, or you can say, I'm um, a space opera sort of person. We've got a faster than light drive. We don't know how it works and neither do you, <laughs> but that's where we are. Or you can be a really hard SF person and say, I'm going to make a shot at how everything in this book being true to physics or true to speculative physics, you're welcome to pick holes. That's the game. But once you've announced the game, I think it's reasonable to deal with a fandom who's come for that game. Fandoms who come to the wrong game, you know, people who look for physics in Star Trek, et cetera. Um, they've
0: got that backwards and forwards. The Star Trek, I know, is a Trekkie. Like many conversations, not from me because I don't care enough to try to figure it out. I'm like, it's a spaceship and they can breathe on every planet. Don't get me started about that. Actually, I picked
2: picked the wrong example because I know the Akuda's filled Star Trek with actual science, but um, it's still. You know, it it doesn't it doesn't live up to the hard SF stuff, but nevertheless, its heart is in the right place as far as science goes. And I don't I don't I don't mind whichever option one picks, as long as what is is clear about what he's picking in terms of in terms of the fandoms. Um, I I I move in all the fandoms. I'm by um, you know I am a Doctor Who fan to my bones, and I go to um, Gallifrey One, the big LA-based Doctor Who convention every February, apart from next February. Um, where um i I don't want to be the guy who's still talking about the show he wrote 15 years ago. so I run game shows, I do infrastructure i I do kind of privileged fanish stuff because I would be there anyway. I'm right. not sure they know that <laughs> um, I, the, Let's well, hope they've never know, realized oh, that. Yeah, so hopefully
0: then, your secrets out. Hopefully they're not <laughs> one of our 20 fans. Just kidding. That was for Austin. He always <laughs> like one of your 12 fans. <laughs>
2: 12. But um so that's in my bones. Um I I love WorldCon, I love um uh, world science fiction convention kind of fandom, prose fandom. Um I find some of their customs a little hard to deal with because I am by nature part of the media fans who were expelled from science fiction fandom um, back in the um, 60s. Um, so my my tribe interacts somewhat awkwardly with that tribe. And, and I, I speak comics fandom very well as well. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, um, very much a, a comics fan too. Um, but, you know, so I, I'm, I'm always, I will always be able to find a conversation in the convention bar, um, which is a lovely feeling. And as I as I get older, this is sort of what I'm looking forward to in twenty, thirty years' time: being able, in my retirement, to not that writers get to retire, to. Um, I have to say, does that? What,
0: what do you mean? Your hands are getting chopped off because writers yeah. never retire.
2: Well, we're, we're kind of also like we're like sports managers. We don't retire. We're just sack. <laughs> and um, the. Um, uh, but I, I think I will end up in convention bars. And uh, I, I think that would be lovely. Um you
0: gone to Dragon Con?
2: I haven't. It's the big hole in my convention going. I've always okay. wanted to. So
0: next time Dragon Con, we don't know each other well, we've met moments ago, you need to go because there are so many high-profile authors too, like yourselves that go, and I'm, we've been fortunate to, to interview them. So we're about to have the best bar experience in the history of bar experiences with these guys because they all go to this one hotel and they all hang out at the bar every single night.
2: That's the... I I, I must do Dragon Con one year. Everybody says it's great. Um, I, this is one of the things I love about San Diego Comic Con, which I find friendly and warm and supportive. Um, there are... At least two social centers where you can just show up and you will find your peers, um, even though it's 120 something thousand people. Yeah. And, um, you know, that sensation of we invaded and took over a small town for the weekend,
0: um, <laughs> and that's what happens at Dragon Con yeah. like, there's mm. 80 100,000 people at Dragon Con, but it's interesting. And I love, I think that's one of the things I love about a writing and being a writer, but also being around writers, because we're fans, like we're fans. Yeah. Oof. So we, that's another reason we do this is because we're fans and we get to talk to you. But um, we, writers are so, for the most part, really approachable. And I don't think it's, the celebrity goes as easily to most writers, not all, most mm. writers heads. They remember oh. they're real people.
2: I, I have, I have a theory about that. Oh, um, I have a I have a theory about most things. Um, the um, uh,
0: theories do share
2: to be a writer, especially to be a successful writer, one has to maintain a certain amount of doubt. One has to be um, one has to self-edit and self-question, and imposter syndrome is our friend. And I, I think thus, it's very hard to get on one's high horse as, as a writer. I've, I've, it's been part of the pleasure of my life to get to know several very successful writers. Um, you know, uh, Neil is a friend, George R. R. Martin's a friend. And I think with both those individuals, you see Neil enter a room and really wish he could have known what the room was like before he entered into it. And, um, and George trying stoically to stand in line for his badge at the World Science Fiction Convention <laughs> and um, just walk around the dealer's room like a regular person. And, um, you know, their fame precludes that, but they really don't want it to. Right. I think that's...
0: It's, it's funny, one of the... Who is he? He's one of the doctors. And I can't think of his name right now because I'm not that great at that. I'm horrible with names. It's a, a problem. But I was at MegaCon in Orlando. There were about right. 90,000 people. And he was, it wasn't David Tennant or anything. He was just walking around and he was unescorted, walking around up to booths. I know this because a friend of mine who was writing with me and we had a table there of our right. books, she like stopped speaking when he walked up to the booth. She was just like, and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? And I'm talking and I'm interacting. Of course, I didn't know who he was because I'm not a fan. Yeah. And, um, but he was just walking around and I, I later went up to a friend of mine who works there and I'm like, where was his escort? Where was that? And they were like, his escort was walking behind him, but he said he didn't want that. He's like, I don't care who comes up to me. He's so nice to all the fans, but he's like, I'm just going to do it. I don't care. I want to go booth to booth. I want to ask about all the stuff at the booths.
1: Oh, here's a fun, fun Dr. Who moment. So we were, um, with a bookstore that year at MegaCon, was it Tampa Bay or Orlando? I think it was Orlando and Christopher Lloyd comes out and across from us is all the Daleks and stuff. And he, he's like, can you get the Dalek to choke me? I want a picture of a Dalek choking me.
2: Christ- Christopher Lloyd.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. Christopher Lloyd.
2: From From Back to the Future. Yes. Wait, wait, is there a Dalek in Back to the Future?
0: No, but he wanted to be choked by one. Try. And if Christopher Lloyd wants to be oh, choked by Dalek, Dalek, okay. these are not questions you ask,
2: dog. <laughs> oh, just oh, don't oh,
0: don't like, is this happening? What?
2: I would, I would have gone, no, Christopher, it's the wrong show. No.
0: <laughs> Christopher, I'm sorry. The DeLorean is over there. You're going to need
2: go
0: guardrails, dude. Go back into your course now. But it's,
1: it's always, and I think that's the cool thing about those conventions is that you get moments like that, you know, like Adam mm. Savage does cosplay and he walks around, you know, until people start figuring out it's him. And you mm. can't, you know, and it's the whole thing of they're also there as fans, like you said, you know, mm. they're, they're just there
2: to enjoy. the I, I wonder if the doctor you mentioned who is might have been Christopher Eccleston, because um, Christopher is very much a man of the people and tries very hard to stay ground level. It it oh.
0: i'm t- i i will say this nothing on him i'm terrible with names my friend finally after he was literally down our aisle and turned did she start breathing again
2: <laughs> the funniest
0: part was when he walked up to our booth he asked about her book because it was a it was a time travel jane austen book and he mm-hmm. asked about her book and i'm sitting there like looking at her i'm like this is your fucking... What are you doing, <laughs> sir? Shamelessly
2: it's self-promoting. Shameless And she's just sitting there like this. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I popped over to John Picasso's stand at um, San Diego a couple of years ago. Um, and John's a, a great artist and a friend. And um, and he was like, just a second, Paul. And he finished something up for a person that um, gave it to the person. And the person sort of turned around, and smiled and walked like, well, she...
0: they're people we forget they're people we idealize them but i've had so many encounters with different celebrities that they're so human and i don't talk to like i'm not like oh my god you know i i just talk to them and i anyway i've had many weird encounters but what is your weirdest fan encounter so you've been at (laughs) conventions
2: I'm, i'm kind of I, I can't really think of anything that was particularly weird because, of course, I'm there and I'm acting much the same, um, especially <laughs> especially after a certain time of night. Um, I do think, um, oh, late-night, early-morning bar cosplayers, um, somebody who um, walked down the stairs into a convention bar as the full Morbius monster from Doctor Who and the Brain of Morbius with a giant claw, and we were kind of like everybody else seeing that and, um, the rest of is your
0: characters and come to your
2: booth um, well I, I i don't ever have a booth really i only have a booth at oh. um, thought bubble, um thought bubble because um you know I, I don't really have anything to sell i mean i sort of leave it to publishing companies to sell things and um the I, I i do it at thought bubble because thought bubble is kind of unique um, They've got um, a city centre venue, and they charge really low door prices, so you get the general public coming through. And um, I just really like the atmosphere of being a comicer sitting there without much in the way of stock. And I kind—I of, tend to give away my my back catalogue more than anything else. Um, but um, just to meet members of the general public and to talk to them about comics, and and then have a tremendous party mid-con. Um, but no, I, I generally don't table. Um, it's uh, it, it's sort of this this odd divide. Um, I, I hmm, maybe I should do it more. I, I like I like people like Peter. Pe- I like people like Peter David who will have a completely bare table, and he's li- he's literally just sitting there waiting to to meet people.
0: It's not about, I don't think it's about selling things. Necess- I mean, for our level of selling things, but yeah. for your level, I don't think it's necessarily about selling things so much. It is about, it gives the fans an opportunity to come up and interact with you and really have a certainty that they know, because you, know, you look people up and a lot of people are good at faces and stuff like that. But if you're walking around, they don't always know you're approachable. And there is a big thing, like don't talk to the celebrities, and it's weird to me i know it drives me crazy because anytime a celebrity does that and i've seen that because i i cosplay i cosplay all the time Mm. i go to conventions all the time i have booths or i'm there and i'm there to meet people like i just love all of this the nerdness so i get excited but anytime a celebrity is an asshole or pushing their fans away and i understand there is a degree of you need some space you can't be overwhelmed Mm. but at the same time if somebody's coming up to you they're supporting you in some way they
2: there are there are polite ways to do this as well
0: right and i've seen um people at conventions be just crappy to their fans but then i've seen people even super huge big names be the most wonderfully nice humans to everybody walking up to Mm. them and talking to them and thanking them like i met Jeff Goldblum and Jason Momoa at the same convention, by the way. <laughs> and um, I get caricatures drawn of me and the the, the people it's I want signed. Wall. I have a whole wall of them. It's great. So I pick a scene from a movie I like, and then I put me in the scene with them. In the movie. <laughs> it is not at all like egotistical, but... <laughs> like i i met and jeff goldblum had lost his voice sweetest guy in the entire world and they warned you when you walked up there like he's lost his voice he's not going to talk and i handed him a picture of me and him from earth girls are easy and he was looked at it and looked at me and he's like i love this and he was boys, <laughs> and i was like best experience ever he's like thank you so much and then Jason Momoa wanted a picture and he had sprained his ankle, but he's like, you look like you're dangerous. And I'm like, you have no idea. And he's like,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think it's important. So I think you should, this is just partially <clears throat> drunken advice, but I think you should set up a booth when you go, or at least do like the writer track at dragon con. You could do the writer track. And oh, I definitely, you know, I definitely like, want
2: to appear on panels. Um, yes. you know, it, it, it's, um, the, um, I, I, I think it's about, um, would I get much traffic if I had a booth, you know, it's...
0: Uh, yes, you would.
2: Uh, okay.
1: Yeah. Um, we're, we're believers. We're believers. But I get traffic, and I don't even feel I'm worthy of the traffic I sometimes get. Uh, oh. I, even at my local library, I'll have someone come through and buy out my entire current level of my series, And people are like, and then other people there are like, whoa! And it only takes one fan to recognize you, and then it turns heads, and then they come and discover you. And it's a really fun, fun
0: experience because then
2: oh, you completely sold me. I'm up for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: If you haven't done it a lot, too, your fans they see your name. Just so you know, what fans do, and I'm sure you do this, is they look to see who's showing up. Yeah. And your picture will get posted on any of the author tracks, and people will be like, oh, especially Doctor Who fans, you're going to get yeah. inundated by
2: that. Okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot when we're, when we're all back to doing such things. We're
0: back to normal. Yeah, we're a, back to I normal. We're back to normal by Dragon Con, which is in the beginning of September, basically, next year. Mm, I expect possible. to see you there mm. with us drinking I'll send you the name of the bar they all go to and the hotel oh, they all stay at.
2: Yeah. I mean, that will be my my first question. Where are my peers at?
0: No, I'm going to the... send, send you the name of the hotel because uh, Jonathan Mayberry <laughs> is bringing me a bottle of whiskey. whiskey. Oh, this
2: yeah. Is... <laughs> I adore Jonathan. Me, me, me and Jonathan meet up every San Diego. Um, uh, he's got he's got a lovely little gang um it, he, he's part he's probably told you he's part and parcel of the scribe awards um the awards for media in writers and i always go along to that tiny audience very low-key awards but just a delicious little quarter of san diego yeah
0: yeah no he is one of the most delightful people that he, i shouldn't just say that we met because it's not true we meet so many amazing people but he is mm. he's one and he's He's part of the reason, actually. You're on the podcast because he led to Al going back, who led to Melinda Snodgrass, ah. who led to you. This is like degrees of separation. <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> well, I'm 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 part of the Wild Cards Collective, so Melinda's a, a great friend, and um, the uh, I, I love the way that operates. The it, it's a socialist collective. Um, basically we get, um, every time we, we create a character for wild cards, we get a share in the collective. And when somebody else uses them, we get a share. And at the end of the year, all the profits are totaled up. And depending on how many shares you've got that year, um, you get that that amount of money. Wow. And it's um, it's quite a radical thing for a really um, incredibly successful writer to run. Um and it means that we're all um wrapped up in each other's success. You know, we all want it, all of us to succeed.
0: Right. And, and um, we love that. When, love I, when that I was idea. talking to Melinda about it, I was just like, oh, we have to talk about this more. And it was funny she did the podcast, obviously. And then she was like, I emailed her, sent her a cup. I'm going to send you a cup too. send her a cup. <laughs> and she's like, I have friends that want to be on your podcast. Yeah, she listed them. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> emails. And she's like, you know, I'm going to ask them first. And I'm like, Please do that because otherwise it's just weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> writing, when you sit down to write, what is your writing environment like? Yeah, do you have a
1: ritual Ooh. or a thing that you do by habit?
2: Well, I'm I'm in it now. I'm in my office, and you can't you can't see much of it. But my bookcases are behind me, and on the walls is art from my various projects. Um, the um, I, I don't do a regular hours. What I do is a, a, an amount. I divide what I have to do by a deadline into an amount of stuff. And I do that stuff in a day. And I plan that out quite far in advance. Oh. And um, that enables me to do quite big projects over long periods of time by dividing up into little pieces. Once I've done that, I can go. go. I can hop off and do, you know, go and do my 10,000 steps. And um you know, um, so sometimes that amount will take all day and sometimes it will take an hour. And it's entirely down to, you know, how much energy I've got and uh, how kind my plotting self is, is to my writer self today. Um, not, um, he gets out of it with a clever trick. Oh, thank you, old me. Well done there. Um <laughs>
0: When you're um, writing, how much can you put down in an hour if you're going in a good clip? If you're doing well.
2: I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, my my preferred amounts for a day are five pages of screenplay or comics okay. or um, 2,000 words of prose. Okay. Um, it's a... Uh, 2,000 words of prose is towards the top end of my abilities. If I have a 10K of prose week, that's a very good week. Um, but, it, you know, I, I've done that several times. Um, and sometimes as you approach the end of a novel, um, it'll be much more than that simply because you're going on adrenaline, you know. Yeah. Um, but, um, adrenaline or deadline.
0: <laughs> deadline I think both are,
2: are <laughs> yeah, terrifying
0: yeah. things that can happen at the same time.
2: <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so I, it's an amount, not a not a regular time. These authors who say I have to get dressed for work and sit down at a regular hour, I understand summing up the magic, but that's not me.
0: You know, I think it's, having done this podcast, we've seen that there aren't boxes. People want to kind of go in a box and go, this is my Everyone's box. Everyone's
1: different about mm-hmm. it. There's some things that are might be in common, but everyone handles it in such a unique way. And it's so neat. To hear like uh who did we interview yesterday? I her name is escaping me. That's because you're drinking. Jeffy Kennedy. Much. Yeah, I was too drunk. <laughs> Jeffy Kennedy actually has uh a, one of the raising uh tables and she has a treadmill up against oh. it and she walks while she types
2: in the morning. Oh tremendous. No, it's
0: like I intense. would fall and hurt myself I know, I every would. single I day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i i i feel i have to keep on um reading current science fiction and fantasy so on my walk i will listen to half an hour of audiobook of a current title every day um so i i do two things at once there i do my my steps and my my dose of science fiction but um i i recently started working with an artist who doesn't work at the weekends no matter what Really, and I, that's so brave I mean, you know, I'll get <laughs> I'll, I'll get an email from a, an editor on a Sunday and I go, I'm sorry, I just have to go upstairs and you know, you do. This is what we do.
0: Well, and I think that it's it, it can for some people it can be an, I mean, I think it depends partially on what you're generating, what you're putting out, where you're at, where you're at in <clears> the <throat> echelon throat> of writers. You know, <clears throat> I think if you are have to like we have romance writer friends who one of them puts out what is it, 10 books a year? Ten, yeah, books. 10 books?
1: a year. Books. She's a monster. Wow.
0: But it feeds her
1: Her readership is very voracious, though. Like, mm. he does 10 books, and that's not all... She has to feed them other people's books in between, because they're like,
0: more!
1: Well, because <laughs> like romance home.
0: readers read, like, five books a week or something. What? It's nuts how many erotica it's five to seven books a week
1: and then because they're shorter prose and then Mm. romance it's five novels a month
2: i i admire craft like that somebody who knows their own skill set that well to be able to deliver that fast and to know exactly what the audience will want that's that's tremendously highly evolved
0: i agree i agree and but i think it depends on where you're at what your audience is how you feel about it Some people absolutely, but I think it's like that, like the work from home thing. I mean, we're in the time of COVID, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's unfortunately getting worse right now as we're speaking. And, you know, working from home, I work in HR as my day job right now, because thus far, nobody's paying me to drink, but I feel that's coming shortly, (laughs) Um, which I think would be brilliant. But, um, you know, I find that people can't Work from home that easy? As much as people thought in their mind, I want to work from home. That would be so cool. That would be the best. Same. Now we were
1: all forced, and they're like, "This is a terrible idea."
2: I'm, I'm, I. Of course, I always have. So yeah, it's um, I love the fact that suddenly we've all got video phones. I mean, that's a, a tremendously useful, um, you know, a development as a result of the pandemic. um The um. I I find myself now with a regular social life on Zoom, and I didn't have a regular social life before the pandemic. It's
0: intre- That's
2: interesting. That's good- so so on the one hand, on the one hand, millions dead. On the other hand, Paul's got a social life.
0: I don't think we're going to put them on the same graph. We're not going <laughs> to
2: put
0: things on the same graph. That won't be well-received. <laughs> but it it's true and you know what i think is we've had to find a way to maintain those relationships maintain those social interactions do that sort of thing because we can't go in person like you know going in person is not a it's not actually an option really right. for most and i know mm. for the uk because we have an office in the uk and the name still hasn't come to me but i feel that's the amount of beers i've had today um and one of the things they've encountered is they were there and they're like yeah no it's getting better It's oh, and yeah i don't think we
2: yeah
0: were in the office
2: yep we, did, we definitely had a very clear um double peak
0: yeah
2: and um, so uh, we are
0: we're in england please don't tell us your address where in england do you live
2: I'm I had to an author
0: do that. I have to say that yeah, now. I was no, like, no, <laughs> everyone's gonna give their I said I live at one one two three. <laughs> I said, tell people where to find you. And they literally were like, I live on, and I'm like, ah! <laughs> they get it edited out. I was
2: like I, so. I live in a small, a small village in the Cotswolds, um, Very in cool. the middle of Britain. And um it's not it's not actually a small village, it's a small market town. And um my wife is the vicar of this market town, so oh. um she's in charge of a historic local church um and um you know the only real problem is the the sheer number of um surreal and charming murder mysteries we have to solve apart from that it... <laughs> no ev- everything up to that is was true <laughs> my, my, my wife really is no. a bit the vicar of.
0: No, it's that's hysterical. It's York. Our office is in York. I don't know why. Ah. Yeah, no, it didn't happen.
2: Totally
0: fine. It's fine. I went to York. That's where the office is. The smaller town. There's a city, and there's a wall around the city because. um, Anyway, it's in a. It's in a lot of movies.
2: Yeah, I love York. Lovely, lovely.
0: It's it's beautiful. It's where the out diagon alley road is. In York is where Ah. the road that she put Diagon Alley about I forget the name of the road this gentleman might know it but there's a road that is (laughs) listen you're English you should know everything from it no I found out there was there's some little side street that is the inspiration for Diagon Alley there so
2: It's it's the other end of the country it's at least four hours away
0: Okay, well you know what? <laughs> giving <laughs> us a geographical location yeah, Don't you, you know
1: that. don't you know that all maps for countries is skewed because they always show their own country larger than what it
0: really is?
2: <laughs>
1: no, Especially I do American know,
0: maps. I okay. do know that because if you put Texas, the state of Texas, next to any other country, pretty much, that country looks like it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The,
2: um, I I should um I, I should mention that, when, but when, when is this going out?
0: Um, I, I don't, I have to look, I can tell, what, what are you going to mention, mention things?
2: Well, I, I, I just wanted to say, I've got a a kind of a big week next week. I've got a book and a comic coming out in the same week.
0: Oh, share that. Share, talk
1: about your book. book. uh,
2: The, the, um, the book is the last volume of my Witches of Lichford series, which is called Last Stand in Lichford. Um, and that's something I'm very proud of. I love having finished a series. It's five books. Um, and, um, lots of changes have happened to, um, the, the, uh, the local vicar, the local hedge, witch, and the, um, uh, atheist owner of a magic shop in this little town Ooh. who band together to, um, fight supernatural evil in the, in the form of a supermarket chain in the first book. And, um,
1: <laughs> your wife had something to
2: do with this. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the villains of the second book are a couple who want to get married at Christmas, so my wife really did have a lot to... <laughs> yeah, there's there there's no greater evil. <laughs> That's
0: great. Um, Tell us about the comic?
2: Um, the comic is uh, the first issue of I Walk With Monsters from the Vault Comics Company. Um, it, wonderful artist, Sally Can- Cantorino, um, with colours by Devlin Kelly. And um, it's a, a heartfelt horror story. It's... Um, a young woman and her friend the monster journeying across America, um, uh, finding abusive men and ripping them to pieces. And uh, it's um, uh, my attempt to do the full Stephen King. Uh, a, um, it's about cycles of abuse and male anger and um, it uh, draws on an awful lot of stuff from my own childhood. And um, it's kind of me trying to do that King thing of writing um, big horror about something real. And um, I'm immensely proud of it. And the art is incredible. Um, so that's, um, we, we, we're just doing six issues. It's finished after six issues and it starts next week. And we've just got copies through. I got I love the, that moment when you get a bundle of copies in a cardboard box in the post. Do you
0: have a copy of this right now?
2: um yeah um it's that fo- the photo i shared with you of the um I know,
0: but we're on a video you podcast can... yeah. up a yeah. well, i have to I, the next I
2: have to have... but you should yes just i got it one just over here
0: it's awesome. uh, it. Yes. <laughs> that's one of the the greatest moments is when you get your work in your hands look at that that is amazing. oh my god that's amazing yeah so, are you going to turn that into a screenplay? Is my question because that seems well, like a series just like to be written.
2: I would love to. I would love to. Um, you know, it's they've all handled that, and they're very much open to that. So let's see. Let's see who comes calling. I'm, t- I'm told. I'm told that um, there may be interest. I haven't heard anything solid yet, and um, this is. Uh, <laughs> this is my 2000 AD, which was out last week
0: oh that nice. is awesome
2: <laughs>
0: i love it i, I got love
2: that 2000 AD logo.
0: my boyfriend is a huge fan of anything that involves a dinosaur yeah he's a big art player yeah no huge art player <laughs> <laughs> what about video games have you been involved in any video games
2: no That's um to
0: be resolved <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna I have a I have a dragon con like
2: we're going to spread the word. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would enjoy dragon con. I what I what, I, the, what the thing I really love most about uh, a San Diego or any other large convention is I get to do business at the same time as doing leisure. So I I get to pursue missions across the convention, and um, that there's something about that that's really satisfying. Um. <laughs>
0: Ironically, one you know all the people that go to Dragon Con, so you should absolutely talk to them about getting on the writer track. But I'm actually interviewing the girl responsible for the writer track. Her name is Jody Nye. Well, hey. Yeah. And I'm I'm gonna yeah, We're gonna seed we're, like, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get this all resolved <laughs> by next year. This is resolved. and we're gonna meet you in person <laughs> at
1: Dragon Con. <laughs> we're yeah, that, we're that, networking that. everyone together because it all it's, it, like, like you've experienced early on in your career, it takes all it takes is talking and being open about your craft and what you do, and it opens doors for you.
2: Absolutely, Um that's um, I I do. I, I do think socializing is important in this business, which it does it does limit it for, for a lot of people. It, it's um I, I wish that were not the case and I'm hoping that there are systems coming into play where those who can't afford or you know um Aren't able to do that socializing, have a a more even playing field. I feel, I feel that quite heartily.
1: Um, Give you an idea of my background. I'm like a by the paycheck kind of household growing up, and even early on in my career, and that slowly I'm finally getting to that shifting point. But what I've done in the meantime is I pitch. Panels and workshops at all these big conventions and conferences. Because part of being accepted to to work on a panel or anything like that is free admission. And some oh, wow. of places even cover your meals for the day or even mm. at the hotel. But you have to look at the stipulations, look at what you need to do. And you sort of work, you're working the convention at that point. But it is one way to get your foot in the door and be able to get yourself out there. You just have to be uh, comfortable with public speaking a lot and interacting even at the lower side of mm. it.
2: I love public speaking. I've presented the Hugo Awards. Oh, it um, was awesome. Uh, it, um, did, I thought it went well. Lots of people objected. Um, hmm, quite controversial, yeah.
0: <laughs> they just were not in the right groove. Whatever you got to present, <laughs> it's all about being in front of people. I'm a big fan jam- of shameless self promotion for authors, and I think more and more, like we, we actually have a small press too that we create <laughs> called Four Horsemen Publications, and we're helping authors and teaching them how to do it without losing, like, not trying to turn into a market marketeer, like. Oh. Yeah, because people for a lot who build of friends, little
2: cool. people who build little book forts on panels. <laughs> um,
0: exactly. So there's a whole technology to doing this and a way of doing it that we we're big fans of. We're big fans of helping authors, helping authors get out there, get their voice, mm. do this sort of thing. Because I think we all need to help each other. I, I you know I love hearing mm. about your friendships and your interactions, but I think that more and more, that's the key is learning how to do things right so mm. that you get little tips and tricks kind of like how you write is different than our friend we talked about but somebody's going to hear that and go let me try these ways until I find my groove and I can write the way I want to
2: I yeah that's exactly it I always think that um, any suggested system or shape is something you can wear for a while until you know you start to you okay. know where to break it and um Certainly, I, I found the, the whole thing about socializing, particularly at conventions, is, is to, you're, you're not there to, the, the very first thing people want to know about you is who, who are you really? You know, they want to know the real you um, and they absolutely do not want you to approach them with your uh, selling head on, um, you know, trying to consciously sell product because who likes that?
0: Exactly. You know. That's my point about you having a table and just having some of your stuff so people can see covers but you're not there to sell all of it. You're there to go, this is who I am and all your fans that are like, oh my god, he's there. You're going to find out really quickly that that's going to happen and you might okay. even have those cosplayers that show up dressed as characters from whether it's Doctor Who that you did or anything <laughs> and then you're going to go this is fucking awesome and fucking weird at the same time and
2: then you're going to I would be a bit scared of the Doctor Who monsters. Um, I think um, the yeah,
0: but you're gonna have to own it. They walk up, you're gonna have to look there and go, "Yes, I'll take your picture." Why didn't I have security here? It's fine. It's...
2: <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I mean, I've, I've, I've got some scary monsters in mind. That's what I mean. Um, that,
0: the that uh... doesn't stop anybody. You should come to a horror movie convention with us, which we. Ah,
2: ah, ah.
0: Yeah, horror writers get some interesting fan
1: interactions. Both Jeff Strand and Jonathan Mayberry have both had little small women dress up as them. Like, as the author. (laughs)
0: That could happen, too. You could be looking at yourself (laughs) and be like, that is happening right there.
2: I've often thought, I need a gimmick like George's hat or Tori Pratchett's hat or Francis Harding's waistcoat. You know, just something that's.
0: Well, you what know, you. you the little, Um, what is the cap that you're British? You should have the cap. I mean, what is it? I don't I, know what you're talking about.
2: Oh, you mean the, the flat cap, the normal yes, thing? Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay, I Listen, shut up. I know what I'm talking about. I didn't say it right. <laughs> but what is it called? The, the, the hat.
2: The flat cap.
0: Yeah. See, you could have one of those, it would look brilliant. You got to do a weird coloration, though.
2: I've never I've never worn a flat cap in my life. I would love to. if you wanted
0: a gimmick, I'm helping you. <laughs> <laughs> just be like, no, that's a brilliant idea, Erica. I should have thought oh. of that years ago. Do you that or oh. you put a scarf on and you're right in the hoot?
2: So I'm sitting, that I'm hurts. sitting in Dragon Con, I'm at my table, I'm wearing a flat cap.
0: Just, Why are you wearing that out Like, I don't know you could be like oh, I was me. with Erica she told me to wear the damn cap it's a it's a gimmick it's now a gimmick you'd replace all the pictures of you everywhere in this cap
2: I'd just be taking it off all the time going actually not bald yeah.
0: you know you're, you're taking away all of the mystery and meaning and all the things it's good to discuss
2: I, I tell you what, we were, talk, we were talking about, um, what? you know, the, the starstruckness earlier. Uh, the, there's a, an author who I really admire, um, uh, it, it, who's become a friend, a chap called Jeff Ryman, okay. um, who's a, a very literary fantasy author who um, I first encountered in the 1990s. And um, he realised quite quickly um, that I was awkward around him and sort of a little distant. And he initially wondered if it was homophobia, people told me. And I and I, 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 said, I said to my friend, oh, mutual neutral friends, oh, my God, now I'm just so in awe of him. I can't talk to him. And, um, <laughs> and so they evidently told him that, because at one convention, he walked straight up to me and said, Paul, come with me. Um, he's an eight-foot tall, he's Canadian. And um, he, he led me out of the convention, and we walked around the little town it was in, as he talked me down from my starstruckness. <laughs> and, um, wow, um, what, what, what a lovely character to somebody who would actually want to stop you from being starstruck.
0: Well, I think that's... you're going to be able to pay that forward. I'm going to guarantee when you have a booth and you're there and you're in a place where fr- fans can approach you, you're gonna have that. You're also gonna have the fan that comes up and stands and is staring at you, but we doesn't should. have the balls to walk up and you're gonna go, Hi, come over. Yeah. And they may pee themselves. You never know what's gonna happen, but you're oh, gonna
2: be able to what, do one, that. Can, one can only hope. <laughs>
0: You're gonna to have to tell me when it happened. You're gonna be like, "Okay, it actually happened, Erica." Okay, here's a picture of it. Erica, <laughs> Erica, know, like they viewed
2: happened. themselves. Here's a picture. That's
0: exactly, exactly. You're saying that, but I'm. This is gonna happen. This will. I, happen. I
2: actually, I actually did did Gallifrey in the year I, when my Doctor Who episodes went out. So I, I've experienced the intensity of it, and it's kind of exhausting. Um,
0: it is exhausting you are on mm. so that's one thing if you haven't done that really before that you get it is exhausting sort of because you're on like people don't realize being Mm. on you know this from doing like the hugo awards and stuff you're exhausted when you get off stage you may have been there for two hours but it's like you ran four marathons in those two Mm. hours
2: absolutely and um yeah being at a convention when you have to be consciously somebody is really tough. Um, These days, I go back to Gallifrey, and I'm part of the woodwork. I mean, I I, I took a little break, but then I kept coming back. And by then, you know, many more people had written, you, Doctor Who, and the world had moved on, thank goodness. But, um, you know, it's... I'm also reminded of... um, It was um, Kim Stanley Robinson at a WorldCon who just hopped over the back of a sofa, landed amongst us all and said, you're all writers, um, I'm Kim, hey, who are you? What do you write? I thought, oh, that's so sweet.
0: See, you now you've actually set this bar quite high for yourself, my friend, when this
2: happens.
0: <laughs> you have quite a bar set. Everybody, I'm not
2: sure I could manage to hop you over a sofa. You'd up either. and
0: be like, okay, I'm walking up, I need you to walk around the block with me. You're <laughs> like, I literally can't leave the table. They're going to be like, no, we're walking around the block. You need to talk me down. I'm a big
2: fan. <laughs> Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> oh, my God,
0: I love it. Okay, we have to wrap up this part of the podcast. We do.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What is your advice for writers out
2: there? You're Oh, one I, I think writer. I've already given quite a lot. Oh, I have a sentence, though. Oh. Um, whenever you're lucky enough to um, get criticism of your work, you have to um, not fend it off, but to accept it, take it in, and change because of it.
0: Ooh, that's actually the first time we've
2: heard that. I I think um, it's the hardest part. It's the whole game. You see young writers going up to editors and saying, you know, would you have a look at this? And if the editor is kind enough to actually do that and starts going, oh, no, you see what you need to do here, this bit is wrong, don't do that, And then the writer starts going, oh, no, you see what I was trying to do there. Oh, no. The editor can just walk away at that point, honestly. Um, I actually make it a point of whenever I get um, sent notes to email straight back going, great notes. Thank you. Taking them on board. Uh, Sometimes even before I've read them. Um, Because, you know, maybe, I mean, I'm... I'm pretty much immunised to this these days, but maybe somewhere down there, there'll be something that makes me wince a bit. Um, but it only makes you wince if it's true. Um, <laughs> or actually sometimes if the editor has completely missed the entire point. Yeah. Um, and that very rarely happens, honestly. It's usually because it's true. Um, so so I, I think I might as well be nice to the editor immediately rather than wait four days until I've realized it's all true. <laughs> and
1: um, the, writers, bit... the editor missed the point. And I said, then you should even be more upset because if an editor didn't see the point, you've broken something prior to that point.
2: Absolutely. It's your job to convey the point. The I, I always say one doesn't learn to be a boxer by avoiding, by avoiding being hit on the nose. One learns to be a boxer by being hit on the nose a lot.
0: Oh, yes, yes. And then figuring out how to not be hit on the ground yeah. after. Okay, so how do people find you besides DragonCon next year, which we've established? How do people <laughs> find your work and stuff?
2: Paul, PaulCornell.com will find, is my website. I'm Paul underscore Cornell on Twitter. Um, and that just about covers it, really. Oh, I'm also the host of the Hammer House of Podcast.
1: Oh! Uh,
2: where um, myself and my co-host, Elizabeth Miles, are watching the Hammer Horror movies in UK release order.
0: Oh, wow. We're going to ask more about this on the Literary Breeze, because I'm going to remember to ask questions on the Literary Breeze episode. No, shut up. Don't judge me. Okay. You have been fantastic. Thank you for being on the podcast with us. I've
2: enjoyed myself tremendously. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're absolutely welcome. Okay. to be been Drinking With Authors. I'm Wins. I'm